So today, uh, at least for me, is kind of uh, today is kind of an exciting day because today uh, we're going to embark on something new. You remember we've been following the three-year cycle of the lectionary now since November of 2015, if you can believe that. Uh, and the cycle is starting to circle back around to texts and to stories that we've covered fairly recently. So what I want to do, at least for a while, uh, is to kind of break off from the prescribed weekly readings and take a really long look into the book of Psalms. And, uh, you know, it's a book I've really come uh, to love. I've fallen actually more and more in love with it over the past year or so because the pastoral association that I'm part of has committed to reading and to praying through the book of Psalms together as a group. Uh, and if you've never done that, I'm going to encourage you uh, to start today with me to dig into this book because I know that you're going to discover that the deeper you dig, the more there is to find, uh, regardless of your age, uh, your education level, uh, regardless of how well you know the scriptures, <clears throat> and, and really regardless of whatever situation you may be going through on, every, on any given day. Uh, and I really believe that they'll speak to you, so I'm, I'm going to encourage you as we go along these next several weeks. Now, what I've come to love about the Psalms is definitely not new. Uh, throughout history, the, the book of Psalms has been treasured by Christians in, in lots of different places and in lots of different times. Uh, in the ancient and medieval periods, the Psalms were studied and, and they were actually sung frequently, especially by folks in monastic orders. And then came the Reformation and the recovery of the Bible in the common language for the common man. And that also meant the recovery of the book of Psalms for God's people too. Uh, in fact, John Calvin said, I've been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not there represented as in a mirror. And he said, and in them is comprehended most beautifully and briefly everything that is in the entire Bible. You see, he's saying that the Psalms teach us how to express our emotions to God. All of the, the circumstances of our lives. And, and it also ties us into the whole counsel of God's Word as we go through them. Uh, much more recently, uh, actually somebody that, uh, that John and I got to meet while we were at the conference, Dr. Robert Godfrey, who, who remembered John's father, by the way, uh, he wrote a book entitled Loving the Psalms. And in it, he said, there are psalms for all occasions, and while they don't make explicit reference to every occasion for which there is a hallmark card, they do mark all the important spiritual moments and emotions in the lives of the people of God. And he and Calvin can make those statements because the psalms, unlike any other book in the Bible, is the one book written not only by the inspiration of God, but actually written to God. Uh, written as an expression of, of worship and, and of prayer. Uh, and it's a book that helps us to give a voice to those deepest places in our hearts uh, and to the whole range of our human emotions. Because in it, we're given the language to address God, not only with thanks and praise, but also with our feelings of, of isolation or uh, of anguish or, or sorrow or despair. Uh, and as we go along, we're going to see that uh, some of what's in the book of Psalms is pretty deep. Uh, some of it's pretty raw. Because there's, there's joy and, and anger. And there's 
despair and celebration. There's frustration and triumph. Uh, And we're going to see a lot of emotion on display. Some of it praising God. Some of it questioning God. But all of it, all of it directing us to Him. And, And last but not least, we need to be mining the depths of the Psalms because the Psalms are full of Jesus Christ. Uh, The great reformer Martin Luther, who had learned the Psalms early in his career as a monk, continued to love them all the rest of his life. And he said, "Uh, the Psalms ought to be a precious and beloved book, if for no other reason than this, it promises Christ's death and resurrection so clearly, and it pictures his kingdom and the condition and nature of all Christendom that it might well be called a little Bible. And he continues, that's true because the Psalms not only explicitly prophesy the coming of Christ, but the message of Psalms always pulls the soul to him and to his great saving work and intensifies our fellowship with him and with the Father through the Holy Spirit in a very real and concrete way. Have have we built that up enough? Right? And there's going to be a lot of other information that I want to give you Uh, and pass on to you as the weeks go by. But for now, uh, there's really no better way than to begin at the beginning with Psalm 1. So we're going to jump right in with Psalm 1, verse 1. But hear now the words of the true and living God. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked will perish. Now this... This first psalm that we encounter on our our journey together stands as kind of an introduction or as a a gateway to the rest of the psalms because it's uh, it's general, it's it's basic, but it touches on two subjects that continually reoccur throughout the rest. It declares the blessedness of the righteous and in contrast, the misery and the future destruction of the wicked. And and right away, if you were following along in your Bible, maybe not so much on the, the screen, But you can tell that this book is not a narrative. Uh, It's not a story, but it's poetry, just like I was telling the kids in the the children's portion. Uh, And you can tell that partially, if you're following in your Bible, because of the way that the text is offset in stanzas on the page. Uh, But now, as far as being poetic, uh, for us in English, it, it doesn't rhyme at all, does it? No. But if we were looking at it in the original Hebrew, it's kind of a, has kind of a sing song quality to it. Uh, it begins with the Hebrew phrase, Esher Ish, Asher Halak. It just, it just kind of rolls off of your, your tongue. It has kind of that, that sing-song quality, and, and it means something like, oh, blessed is the man who, or how happy is the man who. And the early church, uh, beginning in about the 5th century and then uh, moving on to Calvin and Luther and some of the early reformers, wanted to recapture that stick-in-your-head kind of song quality that the Psalms had for the people of Israel. And so they versified them. Or one author said they versicalized them. Now that to me sounds like a totally made up word. 
Have you ever heard that word before? I never did either. It sounds like a made-up word, but it's real. And it just basically means that someone took the time to take a faithful reading of a text of Scripture and translated it into a poem, into verse, and then set it to music to be compiled into what's been called a psalter, which is just basically a hymnal, a prayer book, uh, that was used for private devotions or for public worship. Uh, and, and it's just basically a volume containing the psalms, either in the original format or in verse form, uh, and then oftentimes with other worship material tucked in with it too, like a liturgical calendar or structured prayers. But I, I want to give you an example of how it can be used in public worship and how it really helps with Scripture memory. If you remember that first verse we read, it said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But that's not particularly memorable, is it? Right? I mean, you guys aren't going to like have that running through your mind like a song that sticks in your head. But listen to what it sounds like versicalized. That man is blessed who, fearing God, from sin restrains his feet, who will not stand with wicked men, who shuns the scorner's seat. You see how that, that kind of sticks in your head? And it's this kind of poetry, as I said, set to music and to these familiar tunes so that the people of God could not only sing the psalms, what could memorize scripture. Uh, and, and that kind of thing is actually uh, making a resurgence in conservative Protestant churches. Now, not to, replace, not to replace the hymns that we love to sing, but you know, at least occasionally to work alongside them in our effort to worship God in spirit and in truth because ultimately God's word tells us to. Right? The Bible says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing, what? Psalms of praise to him. Right? We're told in Ephesians 5, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. James said, is anyone among you afflicted? Let them pray. Is anyone merry? Let him sing psalms. And from the lips of our Lord himself in Luke 22, he said to them, when I was with you, I told you everything that was written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And with Pastor John's help, he was very gracious to help me put this together. Uh, we're actually going to sing Psalm 1 in a versified uh, section. And he's, he's been practicing it, and I appreciate him doing that. Uh, this is actually, uh, this, this version of it is an English translation uh, of a German version from 1784, and it's set... Can you play the, the intro just so they know what the tune sounds like? Right? It's set to the tune of Hosanna, Loud Hosanna, okay? So you got, we sing that song like every Palm Sunday. All right, so, so sing out nice and loud, and we're going to sing this together. Okay. That man is blessed who does not walk as wicked men advise, nor stand where sinners meet, nor sit where scorners. Yeah. 
thank you, Pastor John. Right? That was pretty awesome. But, but I hope that, that helps this psalm to kind of stick with you. Right? And I hope you see how important it is if we want to be that blessed man or that blessed woman that Psalm 1 talks about. If we want to be rightly related to God so that our life is, is full and we experience a, a deep personal relationship with Him, that we get the Word of God in our hearts and in our minds every possible way we can. Uh, you know, there's something else about this psalm when we kind of look at the meat of it, I think that really jumped right out at the outset because to me, it, when, you, when you sing those verses or you read those words, it seems a little bit odd that it starts out telling us what the, the blessed man, uh, not what he does, but what he doesn't do. Doesn't it seem a little odd to you? Usually instructions are positive, right? Do this, do that. And I think that's a hint to us, though, that to understand the Psalms and to, by extension, understand God, it has to do with our dependence on Him rather than reliance on ourselves. And I hope that we discover as we go through the Psalms that, that the sort of happiness that we sang about and that we talk about, that we realize that it's vertically focused between us and God and not horizontally focused on what's going on around us in the world and not on our, our circumstances. And... And that it doesn't come by simply seeking for it in that, you know, name it and claim it kind of prosperity gospel that's so popular in the world. But by seeking God for His glory and for His holiness, just all on its own. And just kind of a, a quick illustration for pet lovers. I shared this with you before. You know, someone has once said that, uh, that true happiness is like a cat. You know, if you seek it, it's going to run from you. But if you go about your business steadily day by day, pretty soon it'll come and curl up at your feet. Right? But you know, on the other hand, the most miserable people are the ones who spend their time and their money seeking personal delight, seeking it by hopping from one party to the next, from one bar to the next, from one illicit relationship to the next, from one experience to the next, looking for contentment. But Psalm 1 that we sang would have us know that true happiness and lasting contentment simply cannot be found that way. But at the same time, it assures us that it is possible to live a happy and blessed life, but only on God's terms. Because, you know, the world, it offers entertainment. It offers cheap thrills, uh, momentary pleasures, but true happiness, authentic joy, true peace are only found in the Lord. Not when we pursue things, but rather by not pursuing them. Uh, it's when we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. It's when we don't stand in the way of sinners or when we don't sit in the seat of mockers. And that basically just means avoiding the advice of the morally unstable and their worldview of folks who don't know God. Because, you know, when we listen to those folks so often, we hear people say, well, you know, all religions are the same. They're all the same. They're, they're just superficially different, but they all teach the same thing. But, you know, that's not true. That is not true. The fact is exactly the opposite. And there may be some superficial similarities, uh, but all religions are fundamentally different. In fact, I love this one author said, he said, to be fair, yes, all religions teach love and goodness, so I guess they only differ on matters of creation, sin, hell, God, salvation, <laughs> right? You see, that worldly lie and that belief that all Ideas are equally valid and equally true if you are just sincere enough in your belief leads to worldly action, which results in worshiping worldly things that leads us to walk in those paths we just sang about not walking in. 
But you know, we Christians, we're, to, we're commanded to be in this world, but not of it. And that means we're to live among the lost, loving them and caring for them. And at the same time, we're to live by an entirely different value system. And you know, when we do that, when we genuinely do that, that powerful combination of truth backed up by love is an irresistible force in this world. You know, and the bottom line here is we can't reach people for God by compromising our values or by watering down His Word. You know, as the saying goes, it's a good thing when the boat is in the water, but it's a bad thing when there's water in the boat. <laughs> right? But how do we do that? Well, this Psalm 1 tells us. It told us in verse 2 that we sang, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. And that blessedness comes from building your life on the Word of God. Because having refused to walk in the way of evildoers, we instead focus on God and on His Word, replacing those negative influences of the world with the positive inspiration of the Scriptures. I shared this uh, illustration before in Sunday school class, but it's kind of like cleaning out my goldfish pond at home when it has all this dirt and, and leaves and junk flowing in the top of it. You know, the easiest way to clean it out is to turn on the garden hose and let it flow with fresh water until all the junk in the pond floats out as the clear water flows in, right? And in the same way, we need to fill our minds with the Word of God so that there won't be room for anything else. And that's what the psalmist tells us that the godly person does. They delight in the law of the Lord. That means they love the Word of God. They love the Scriptures. They love the Bible. They love coming to Bible study and Sunday school, uh, not just for the fellowship, which is awesome, but to dig into the Word of God. You know, and that delight means to take great pleasure in. It's the idea of, of a consuming passion that controls your life. Because, you know, everybody delights in something, right? Some of us delight in food. Others delight in a job or hobby or career. Uh, some people delight in a particular friendship. Lots of people delight in money or at least in the things they can buy. And many delight in evil pleasures and wrong desires. But you know what? Your delight always determines your direction. What you delight in always determines your direction. And those who are blessed by God, though, love His law, and they meditate on it day and night. Now, that word meditate has the idea of uh, not just consuming, but digesting something thoroughly. And it, it reminded me of a, a favorite quote by a, a philosopher that I've always kind of admired, Francis Bacon, who said, Some books are to be tasted, some are to be swallowed, and some few to be chewed and thoroughly digested, right? Some books are to be tasted, some to be swallowed, but some few are to be chewed and thoroughly digested. And that's what we need to be doing with God's Word, thoroughly digesting it. Uh, the psalmist even specifies that we should do it day and night. Right now, on the one hand, that simply means all the time, right? Any time is a good time. There's no wrong time to meditate on the Word of God, but perhaps we should take that quite literally because it's a good practice to begin and end each day with the Word of God. See, that way we get started out right, and we end right. And that way we discipline our minds to think biblically all the time. Uh, and if we're serious about God's Word, we'll find time to do that. We'll have a regular reading schedule, and maybe even try to memorize Scripture, just like we were doing through the Psalms there. But, you know, sadly, that's become kind of a lost art, hasn't it? I know when I was J.J. and Kitty's age, and I'm sure for most of you, uh, it was commonplace for... Christians to memorize scripture in Sunday school, right? Uh, today that doesn't seem so common except for the kids in Good News Club. Uh, and that's a pity because the Bible tells us in Colossians 3, it says, let the, 
word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And you know, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, you know, I just can't memorize stuff. I'm too busy. My brain's too tired. I can't remember my phone number most of the time. But you know, the truth is we mostly just lack motivation. You know, and the people that, that say that too, you know, I've found that generally those are the people who live from one crisis to the next, uh, never feeling like God speaks to them. But if we delight in the Word, we're going to find a way to read it and to meditate on it. And yes, even memorize it. Uh, and it'll make a difference in our lives. Because as one author said, don't ever tell me God is silent if your Bible is closed. Right? Let that sink in for a minute. Don't ever say that God is silent if your Bible is closed. Because a life marked by saturation in God's Word leads to stability and to fruitfulness. And then we'll be like that tree that's planted by the riverbank, bearing fruit in its season. And our leaf won't wither and we'll prosper in all that we do. You know, and people like that are constantly refreshed. They're renewed, constantly drawing on new strength for new situations living each day in the strength of the Lord whose mercies are new every single morning. But you know, verse 4 says that's not the way with the wicked. They're like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They'll be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. You see, they're not like the righteous, and so they don't have any part in the promised blessings we're all looking for because they're not following God's word. They've chosen their own path. And God's estimation of them is entirely different. He says, they're like worthless chaff. Ultimately, insubstantial. You guys know what chaff is, right? You know, it refers to that husk or that hull that you take off around a grain or a nut. You know, it might seem strong at first while it's still all together. But once that nut or that grain is removed, it's just as, as light and flimsy as dust. Like, like take a, a peanut, right, in its shell, you, know, you crack it open, and you eat the peanut, what do you do with the shell? Yeah, right, yeah, if you're at my favorite restaurant, Texas Roadhouse, you toss those puppies on the ground, right, and they get pulverized into the floor. Uh, but, you know, God said that's what the wicked are like in his eyes. They look real powerful on earth. But to God, they're like dust that quickly blows away. And their wisdom, in quotes, right, well, it's no more than chaff. There's no substance changes every day always a new theory a new idea a new belief nothing solid nothing definite because the wicked live for themselves and they live for today and they don't know right from wrong they don't know good from evil but psalm 1 wants us to know that life without god for those folks is useless and empty and trivial and worthless if a man lives a hundred years and yet doesn't know god he's just a piece of useless chaff blown away and forgotten and the true character of those folks is going to be revealed on the day of judgment. See, when the time comes for judgment, the wicked are not going to stand because they don't have any roots. Uh, everything about them is all bluster and, and brag and ego, but there's nothing of any lasting value. And the, the Bible says with one breath, our Lord is going to blow them away like dust. Now, meanwhile, though, the righteous, the righteous will stand because they're like trees planted by a stream with deep roots in the word of God. And that tree is going to stand while the chaff blows away. See, that's why sinners won't be in the assembly of the righteous. They won't be there because the winds of judgment have already removed them. 
Now, having said that, I freely admit that things don't always appear to work out that way, do they? I mean, things today uh, seem kind of inverted from the moral perspective of Psalm 1 when the wicked sometimes quite literally get away with murder. But Christ will have the final word because in the long run, it's really all about him. If you remember, I told you, Luther wrote that the Psalms give us the promise of Christ's death and resurrection so clearly. And now this really came as as kind of an insight to me in studying through this because at first glance, Psalm 1 doesn't necessarily seem specifically about Jesus. It doesn't look like a messianic psalm. I mean, there's no mention of a Davidic king. Uh, There's nothing like that that would actually draw you to it On the surface, it looks like it's just a psalm about anything else, any man or woman who's given the basic instructions on how to live and follow God's law and avoid evil. And that's true, it is. But if we look at it again, you can see something a little more. So I want you to notice that first verse of Psalm 1, how it begins, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. That that word is singular and masculine. Who is that man? That man of Psalm 1 is not just any man. It's a very particular man, the man Christ Jesus, the one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus who didn't walk or stand or sit in the way of sinners or scoffers. It was Christ Jesus who, when he was oppressed and treated harshly, he never said a word but was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep is silent before his shearers, he opened not his mouth. It's about Jesus who meditated on God's law day and night Uh, often withdrawing from the crowds and from his disciples to pray. It's about Jesus, who, although he was perfectly righteous, willingly chose to be numbered among the wicked so that we could be counted as righteous when we receive him by faith in the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. So if you hear his voice today, if you feel his wind moving on your hearts, let Christ be your righteousness. Accept him as your hope so that you don't walk in the ways of the wicked, but instead that you delight in the law of the Lord and find your rest in his refreshing, having discovered the blessedness that comes from a God-centered life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we can't really even read these psalms without asking ourselves, what are we living for? So we ask you, Father, to help us be people of your word, delighting in what you've given us, May we stay away from evil, Father. Grant us strength and resolve to say yes to you and to your word. Help us to live so that in the day of judgment, having built on your unshakable foundation and on your word, we won't be blown away, but we'll stand before you forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.